would greet you in Jesus' name this evening. Welcome. What a blessing to be gathered together. Have another evening of grace. In Luke 19 is a few words. Jesus was entering into Jerusalem. It's called the triumphant entry. In verse 41 he says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round about, round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Why? Why? They knew not their day of visitation. Do you think you would recognize your day of visitation? You can only be certain that you are recognizing your day of visitation if when the Lord speaks to you and brings conviction to your heart about something in your heart, in your life, something that he is speaking to you about and you respond That's the only way you can be sure that you're recognizing your day of visitation. I know y'all are young. I was once too. There was a whole lot of foolishness in my life. But when I yielded to the Lord... There's a seriousness came into my life. I would encourage you all to consider yourself in as dangerous a time. As far as your stakes are concerned concerning going to heaven or to hell, the issues that pull you either way, you're possibly living in as dangerous a times as you're as they've been on the face of the earth. The Lord talks about the end times, the deception being so high that the time was shortened for the very elect's sake. I don't know what all that means. We're living in days that look a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah to me. We're living in days that seem a whole lot like what the Bible describes Noah's day. I'd just like to make an appeal tonight. You take it serious. Don't wake, don't wink at the day of opportunity. This story came to my mind, and I'm going to tell it the best that I know. It's not my message. I'm giving you an extra opening. There were two young men. Best I remember the story, we're at, at some meetings, preaching was going on, and somebody, these two boys were quite frivolous and lighthearted, and somebody pulled them aside and says, boys, 
what would you do if the Lord showed up or something to that effect? One of them says, why? Well, he says, I'd just turn my back to him. The other one says, oh, I'd just hide in a bush. Those two young men left that meeting that evening. Had a deadly wreck. When the cleanup crew came there, they found the one boy face down on the ground. The other one they found so impaled in a bush that they weren't able to get him out. They had to cut the bush off and take him to the hospital or wherever they took him, bush and all. He hid in a bush. Well, the phenomenon was that when they're letting these boys down into the grave, the one casket lurched as they're letting the thing down in the grave. And the undertaker said, I had to tie that body upright in the casket. It wanted to keep flipping over, even after it's dead. It's the judgment of God. Now, there may not be anybody so brazen here tonight. But I'm going to say that continue to resist God's conviction when he's clearly laying things on your heart is the same spirit. It's the same spirit of resistance. Do you recognize your day of visitation? Let's kneel for prayer. Lord Jesus, tonight we are here. We are kneeling before you. And your word says that indeed... Every knee is going to bow to you and every tongue is going to confess to you. Lord God, I pray that every knee that's bowing here tonight could be in truth. Somehow, Lord, let it be in truth and grant us mercy, Lord, before you that none would smother conviction in their heart tonight. Father, you know the things that you have been laying on your finger on in the hearts of these of these people, on all of us, Lord, you know exactly where we are. You know our rising and our resting. You know our walking. You know our thoughts. You know the deeds. You know the sins that have been committed that may be present right here in this audience tonight. I pray, Lord, for a visitation from you. Lord, extend your mercy and your grace. Lord, let us see your cross once again. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified with moving here. Lord, I pray that if anything in my life that's a grief to you, Lord, I'm sorry. I pray for a cleansing. Forgive me, Lord. I pray, Father, for each one here. Lord, lay not our trespasses to us. Help us to turn early from them and take this day of visitation tonight. Lord, would you bless us? We pray it in the name of Jesus. Open the windows of heaven, Lord, and I pray, Father, that you would examine our hearts tonight. And I pray, Father, that you would examine our hearts in light of the fruit that's coming from our lives. In the name of Jesus, we'll give you all the glory. Amen. I want to talk to you about a malady and a sickness tonight that stalks the whole human race. I'm not talking about cancer. I'm talking about something a whole lot worse than that. It is a disease that has caused an untold number of wrongs. It is a disease that is destroying the masses of humanity. This disease that I'm talking about breaks up homes, ruins businesses. It takes men's lives and destroys those 
that have it the worst. This disease does not need to be encountered in order for you to have it. But it can be gotten that way. You don't need to be very old to manifest the symptoms. The disease is impurity of the heart. Impurity of the heart. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read just a, about a wonderful verse as there is in the pages of God's Word. Matthew 5 and verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A blessing is pronounced on those that have this blessing because it comes at a price. This blessing is not just going to fall out of heaven on you. You will have to be prepared to receive this blessing. But that word blessed there means very similar to the word to be envied. To be very thought very fortunate. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It is something to be longed for. It is something to fall on one's knees and one's face and ask God for. The pure in heart have a blessing pronounced because because God will accept a pure heart. They will see God. God will accept that pure heart. Through all eternity they will behold him in all his awe and wonder and all his power. I'm not talking about a one year vacation in glory and bliss. I'm not talking about ten years of blessing and joy. I'm not talking about a hundred years of joy and blessing. Not even a thousand. But forever and ever the pure in heart shall see God. And it's not going to be a boring citizenship. Have you ever heard of people saying, you know, our marriage just keeps getting better. That's the way it's supposed to be. And, you know, uh, yeah, our, our love keeps growing. And, and we just enjoy each other more as years go by. And, and no, it's not old and foggy. No, we hadn't wore our relationship out. It keeps getting better. Well, that comes from the heart of God because God gives us a glimpse of when things are right, they keep growing and getting better. And throughout all eternity, I believe we'll understand new dimensions of God. We'll understand new blessedness. We'll enjoy our walk and relationship with him in a fuller way. See, God is not a stagnant old God that, well, you know, there's nothing new. But God has an imagination. You ever been out and seen, um, looked around in, um, in nature and saw all the great and the small, the variation of the immense imagination of God, little green frogs to squiggly things in the water to great big whales to elephants with a big long trunk to swivel around, a tail swinging around there, a, a giraffe with a big long neck. That's here on the earth. That's just tip of the iceberg. And you look up into the heavens. And you see the stars. And you get a telescope. Oh, more stars. More stars. And you look up there. And the awe is just marvelous. And God says, oh, he says, I met that out with a span. The great big mountains. Mountains. 
big hills. You can hardly get over them. Your vehicle about, and the, and the heat about overheats, getting over this hill. All he says, I weigh the mountains and the balance. Hmm, yeah, this one's a little too heavy. You know, I, I don't know what he did. But he talks about weighing the mountains and the balance. This God, the pure in heart are going to see. We haven't even talked about his character, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his holiness, his love. If you ever felt like another human being loved you with all their heart, it's, it's a little spot on the end of a great big finger. I mean, it's just the taste of love. God's love is so great and so pure and so all-consuming. We'll know him then. The pure in heart had that privilege to see him. I want a pure heart, friends. I want a pure heart. I want to see God. But this is also a warning. Only the pure in heart are going to see him. Those that are not pure in heart are not going to see him. That's why he says, keep your lamps trimmed. Be ready. Always. Be always ready. Watch. They shall be free of the self-life forever. Those that see God in that day, they will partake of the holy attributes of being God's son. Blessed are those pure in heart. Jesus said so. Are you pure in heart tonight? I have another question. When I asked that question, what came to your mind immediately? It may be that that thing that came to your mind immediately, if it's a sin, some uncleanness or something, That's God's spirit. What came to your mind? Are you pure in heart? The word pure is number 2513. It means clean, clear, pure. The lexical aid says clean and pure in a spiritual sense from the pollution and guilt of sin. Do you have sin laying on your heart this evening? If you do, this promise here, is not for you. But I want to talk a little bit about those that are going to see God here. The pure in heart will also see God here. Not with this eye. But they'll see God in their circumstances. The more a life is yielded to the Lord Jesus and surrender to the Lord Jesus, the more interactive with God that life becomes. And they see how God protected them over here. And they see over here where God chastened them and allowed something to happen to them. And they say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Ten years ago, one weekend I was praying for, was praying for brokenness. I, I'd been traveling with this missionary. And um, we had been uh, up to Liberty. We were still living in Tennessee at the time. And this uh, brother was going to be preaching another place. I was going to be preaching at home. And I said, now, brother, I said, uh, let's pray for each other for this weekend. And, and he hesitated a little. And he said, well, let's pray. And we're driving down the road. And he began to pray. Lord, give my brother brokenness. Oh, give him brokenness. Break his heart. And I'm like, ooh, that's not a real nice prayer. Yes, I need it. I need brokenness. And so I began to join him in prayer, praying for brokenness. Well, the weekend came and went. And Monday morning, I was doing some sawmilling. I was running a circular sawmill. 56-inch blade. And I was cutting two-by-twos. 
And I left a dog that holds the material down. I left it sticking out one notch too far. And I knew I did it when I was, did it, but I was in a hurry. And I said, well, let me cut off a couple of slabs and then I'll flip it over. And, well, I pulled that thing two inches and I thought, it might slide by. And I pulled the handle, but I pulled it too hard. It didn't just ease up to the blade. It hit that blade. And, you know, and I backed it up. Those are carbide tip teeth. And I thought, well, here I've gone and ruined all my teeth. I can't even finish this project. It was about $3 a piece, about $150. And I don't even, you know, here I can't finish this project. Just over a mistake like that. I stepped forward. Remember, I've been praying for brokenness. I stepped forward. I picked that thing up, slid it back a notch, and fastened it down. Zazang! A tooth and a collar left that blade. Now, a collar is about a half moon. It's about three or four times as heavy as a tooth was. The tooth hit me flatways on the bone above the eye. If it had been a half inch this way, it would have hit me in the temple and probably killed me. My son did the math, said the thing was running about 90 mile an hour. If it had been a half inch this way, it would pulverized my eyeball. But it came out at a precise time. If the collar would have hit me, it's a little doubt but it would have killed me. When that impact hit that bone, the doctor said that the impact went in the eyeball on this side and just like, you know, the impact goes out the other side of a ball. The cone-shaped bone there. When it left, the impact left the eyeball, it ruptured retina. And when I do that, I only see lower and to the left. When I closed my right eye, it basically took the vision out of one of my eyes. But I saw God in it. The Lord has used it many times to remind me of my frailty. The Lord has reminded me various times of his goodness and his care and his precision that that thing hit me exactly in that spot. And brought the brokenness that was needed. If the Lord chooses to allow the other eye to go bad, I'll be blind. I won't be preaching from notes. I'll never read with that eye again. But I trust God. Eye doctors have tried to get me to come in just, you know, regularly. Make sure nothing happens to the other eye. So if God wants me to be blind, I'll be blind. If he doesn't want me to be, I won't be blind. Do you see God? Do you see God at work in your life? The difficult things, the painful things, do you see God? The pure in heart are going to see God. Not just in future eons. Thank God for that. We're going to see God. When we're pure in heart... Our hearts are totally surrendered to him. And we're willing for him to do anything in our lives and anything with us that pleases him. We'll see God. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 20. I have made so many mistakes. I have wronged people. And through it all, my father has been a faithful father to me. Remember in a situation where I was facing real difficulty in a relationship. 
And I felt the difficulty. And uh, I couldn't understand just what was wrong. And I was sitting under the preaching of the word. And the Lord showed me that I had prideful reactions against this person. And um, I went back home and confessed my prideful reactions. And you know, so much healing began to come in that relationship. But we can't cleanse our own hearts. Proverbs 20 and verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. Nobody can say that of themselves. Nobody can say it. Only the Lord is able to cleanse hearts. This illustrates the futility of making our hearts clean in our own strength. God can, but he's not going to do it while you passively sit by. He'll do it if you cry out to him. He'll do it if you stretch forth your hand, as we spoke the other evening, and expose your need. Be willing to tell what's inside. What and thus and thus have I done? I want to consider a few more scriptures on the subject of purity. Proverbs 21 and verse 8. Proverbs 21 verse 8 says, The way of man is froward and strange. That's that impure heart. But as for the pure, his work is right. The way of man, here's God's word. In describing our own way. The way of man is froward and strange. But as for the pure, his work is right. Is your work right? Only the pure have a right work. Proverbs 15 verse 26. Proverbs 15 verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. But the words of the pure are pleasant words. If you're a wicked person tonight, if you're sinning, you've not surrendered to the Lord Jesus. You've not been made a new creature as we spoke about the other night. You've not been born again. You haven't gone from being unreconciled to reconciled. You've not gone from being unclean to being clean. These words are true about you. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. An abomination. That's a pretty strong word. Indeed it is. But the words of the pure are pleasant words. What goes on in the heart and the mind of the wicked is an abomination to God. But notice the words of the pure. They're pleasant words. Go to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. If you're living in sin, the Lord is grieved with what's in there. But if you have a contrite heart and you're willing to deal with the things that are in there, the Lord is pleased. He's willing. He's giving you a day of an opportunity tonight. Psalm 18, verse 26. Here, this verse basically says God is going to treat you like you treat him. Psalm 18, verse 26 says, With the pure... Thou wilt show thyself pure. In other words, when you get pure in heart and you get cleaned up and you get your sins taken care of and you stop fighting against God and surrender to him, what you're going to find is that God, oh, he does things right. His judgments are just. What he decreed there, yes, that's right. In Revelation There's that multitude that says true and righteous 
are thy ways. Something that effect. That host says God's judgments are right. Do you feel that God's judgments are right? So he says here, with the pure thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the froward thou wilt show thyself froward. Do I have a definition for froward here? Hmm. I don't have a definition for froward here. But the idea is resistant and contrary. So to those that are responsive to the Lord, he shows himself pure. And with those that are unresponsive and resistant and contrary, he's that way to them. Verse 25 says, With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. Don't you need mercy? With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. Basically, God is going to respond to you and me like we respond to him. What's your choice tonight? I do have a definition for froward. This word froward means not willing to yield or comply with what is required. This is one of the reasons some people don't get their prayers answered. Is because they're not willing to comply to God. And God isn't willing to comply with them. When there comes that place where there's a surrender. And God isn't looking for a zenith of perfection. He's looking for that heart that surrenders. That turns. That yields. That is responsive. Those who are not compliant with God's purity will find him to be distant, unyielding, and unresponsive. Are you still in a sickness of impurity of heart? Is God able to help you and to heal you? Yes, he is. So our first point here was, the first point is, blessed are the pure in heart. Point number two, all the issues of life come from the heart. Would you agree with that? All the issues of life come from the heart. Let's turn to Proverbs. We're here close. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Those that are not pure in heart. The verse fears infers that they will not see God. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far away from thee. Let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Verse 23 here says, guard your heart with all diligence. If evil is in there, it is going to show up in the life. Every evil that a person commits has come from the heart. Now, there are some inadvertent things that happen that are very unfortunate. There was a, um, a man <clears throat> driving a truck for Cam. You probably possibly heard about it in North Carolina. And uh, seemingly a fairly new driver. And he um, had a crew from just up the road from us. Some new order Amish in that truck. And uh, anyway, it seems like he got too far over in meeting a vehicle. And he got too far over and that trailer began to pull. Pull sideways and he didn't know how to correct it quick enough. 
And that trailer pulled them off of the sideways off of the road. And there's one tree. I understand from what someone told me. There's one tree in that stretch. And they hit that tree with the right side cab of that truck. And killed two persons. And the condition of the other two is not fully known yet. That was a sore evil. It was not intentional. It was an accident. But the sins and the responses and the responding temptations and the things that are done in the life, coming from the mouth, the hand, coming from the life, they come forth from the heart. Now he says, keep the heart. What does he want us to do? So we got some evil down there, so we're going to jerk the cinch strap. Nothing come out of his heart. Is that what he's saying? No. Be careful in guarding over your heart because if evil goes into that heart, it's going to come back out. When righteousness comes into that heart, it comes back out. It comes forth from the life. Every expression of you as a person comes forth from the inside. From your choice of your clothes, some things might be dictated by your parents. That'd be a blessing. That'd be fine. But the habits that you form and the expressions that come forth from every one of our lives come from our hearts. Don't tell me if you have sin on the outside. The outside person is defiled. He's committing sin. Has cool expressions. Don't tell me it's not coming from the heart. This verse here. Scripture says... It comes forth from the heart. When you see symptoms, things on the outside, ah, you can't go by that. There's some things might be accidental. You know, I looked in the mirror over there before I left Earl's, and I realized I had a rooster tail up here. Now, if I'd have come up here and preached with that rooster tail, I might have never known it. It was not a, a desired thing of me that, that, that I had a rooster tail, but it still, it came from my negligence. Looking in the mirror, huh? All these things come from within. They express who we are. Out of it come the issues of the heart, out of the issue of the life. Out of the heart, keep thy heart with all diligence. We used to sing this song, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. It affects your heart. It affects your heart. When you put things in there that are unclean, that are ungodly, that are anger, that are filthy, that are murderous, it's appalling to fly in a jet plane anymore. You need one of those darkening straps. The filth... And the violence and the ungodliness that's portrayed. Be careful what you let go in here. With that smartphone some of you all have. And you use it. Nothing wrong with the technology in itself. It's not an evil technology. But I'm going to tell you that when you're feeding the opinions of the world and the thoughts of the world through that thing into your mind every day... What are you going to think like? You're going to think like the world. But if indeed that thing is used as a toy, I mean as a tool, if that thing is used as a tool, used and left, 
do it and leave it. And you find this, your consolation, because this is the heavenly magazine. And you're feeding on this. And your heart is being nurtured by this. You're not going to get the the spirit of the world. And I believe one of the reasons the spirit of the world is so tremendously pressing on us in this day is because people are constantly on the internet. The internet has some wonderful tools. It has some things that are useful. But you use that all the time and you get your information from that. You're getting your information directly from the world. I've heard of people going so far. I was appalled. I felt angry. I think that time may have been uh, in, uh, righteous indignation. But I heard of, of in a situation where um, uh, uh, somebody went and looked up all the poses for a newlywed couple, all the poses that they should get pictures in. I did. I felt angry. What business do we have? Trying to figure out how to live a a life for Jesus Christ from the world. And all its poses and the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh and pride of life. What that comes from the heart, from a worldly heart. I'm sorry. I I don't mean to, uh, I'm sorry that it did. What I'm saying is this thing grows gradually. 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 And you increase In worldliness. It's dangerous. It's very dangerous. It says don't be pressed into the world's form. And into the world's mold. The world wants to take you and push you in there. Bring that in. Become like the world. God says be transformed. Metamorphosis. That's the idea of a butterfly. It went from glory it went from a measly crawly worm eating everything it find to this butterfly that sails along and flies along. Metamorphosis. That's our call. We say we're Christians. I think in this generation we better take it as serious as we know how. Living in the world, not of it. <clears throat> well, I just want to talk about the heart here and the issues. You know... The things that you talk about reveal what's in your heart. You know the things that you find interesting? It says, verse 24, Put away from thee a froward mouth, a unyielding, argumentative mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Why? If there's filthiness in there and you speak it forth, it increases it. Put them away. Repent of it. What is seen with the eyes? Verse 25. Let thine eyes look right on. What is it that draws your eye that you love to look at? Oh, did you notice that sports car? Oh, I'm drooling over that thing. That ain't the spirit of Christ. Oh, did you see that truck? Or would you notice? Hey. That person made me think of the children of God. I wonder if there's a godly church around here somewhere. Or they're traveling through. Did you notice those people? What's your eye caught with? 
Are you pure in heart? Do you love the Lord Jesus? From our hearts comes forth the issues of life. What direction are you headed? Look at verse 26. It says, ponder the path of your feet. Where all have my feet taken me? Where all do they want to go? What all would I like to do? And what are going to be the results of it and the consequences? Ponder the path of your feet. This verse here is New Testament almost. It's an Old Testament, but Jesus uh, quoted from the Proverbs. There's scripture. Now it says, and let all thy ways be established. Persistently turn to what is right. Don't fudge. What direction are you headed? Where will it take you? Regardless of what it costs you, turn to the right. What is in the heart determines whether you see God. Let's go now to the New Testament. Mark chapter 7. You know, the scripture says, I'm, I'm talking about practical things tonight. That world doesn't hold much intrigue to me. And maybe you can tell it by the things that I say about it. The scripture says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What's it going to be worth if you gained the whole world? You had it all under your control. You tell the people in Russia what to do. Tell the people in Germany what to do, wherever that, whatever direction that is. All the way over to Indonesia, you have control of the whole world. And in the end, boom, you die and lose your own soul. What's it profit? We're called in this generation to lose our lives in order to gain that eternal life. Mark 7, verse 18. The context here. They were talking about things that are eaten. Let's begin in verse 14. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But those things which come out of him, those are they that defile a man. You ever ever told something dirty? Told something suggestive? And it, ooh, foolish? You said something foolish and you felt dirty? It's because we are. You feel dirty because you are. It says those are the things that defile him, the things that come out. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 17, and when he was entered into the ark, into the house... From the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man? It cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart. Now, I'm not talking about music entering into your body. I'm not talking about looking at filthy pictures. I'm not talking about um, looking at somebody with murderous thoughts. I'm not talking about those things. Those things will defile him, and we'll see that here in a little bit. But you're talking about food, and uh, it's very interesting. Jesus makes this statement and then verifies it in the Gospels, uh, I'm sorry, in the Epistles. 
that every creature is good for food. And Jesus basically says that here. Because it entereth not into his belly, into, not into his heart, in verse 19, but into his belly, and goeth out into the draft, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. From the heart come the issues of life. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall have a pure life. They shall see God. The matter in this context has to do with eating without washing hands. Has to do with eating things. Jesus said, it's not what goes into, your, into you germ-wise that defiles. It's what comes forth from the impure heart that defiles. This is that malady. This is that sickness of the heart of humanity that keeps us from seeing God. I told you before that this malady causes people to do terrible, terrible things. Remember Ahithophel? Is that ringing that name? Do you recognize that name? Ahithophel, David's counselor. Ahithophel turned against David when Absalom came into the reign. Do you know why? It seems he had a bitterness. Somebody said it was about 15 years that he carried that bitterness. You know what it seems that bitterness was about? Bathsheba was his granddaughter. Did David sin? Terribly. But this man, it seems, had this bitterness inside. And he kept dwelling on it. Kept dwelling on it. His grandson-in-law murdered by the king in order that he could get his granddaughter. Mm. This man left this to fester and fester. And finally, the day came when he sided with Absalom to destroy King David. It didn't work out. When he saw that his counsel was not followed, he went home, put his house, everything in order, and hung himself. Why? Bitterness of heart. Impurity in heart, an anger, a grudge, a desire to murder. Well, we say, well, it may have been a little bit justified. You know, sin is never justified. Sin is never justified. It would destroy you first. It might destroy some others. But the word wickedness here, look at that word. In verse 22, thefts, covetousness, Wickedness. That word wickedness means departure from the rules of divine law. God tells us to forgive our enemies. God tells us to pray for those who despitefully use us. God tells us to love our enemies. It's wickedness to depart from his divine law. I think sometimes people don't understand it. 
And there may be some grace there. There may be sinning and ignorance. But wickedness is to depart from what God has said. We talked last night about honoring our parents. To depart from divine law, a mandate of God. It's wickedness. And it comes forth from the heart of man. It's an evil disposition or practices, immorality, crime, sin, sinfulness, wickedness usually signifies evil practices. Wickedness usually signifies evil practices. The word lasciviousness here is used. It means looseness, irregular indulgence of animal desires. What does that mean? A pervert. Tendency to excite lust and promote, promote irregular indulgences. I'd just like to briefly go over this list. Are you in one of these categories here? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Adulteries. Fornications. Murders. Says to hate your brother is to be a murderer. Thefts. You guilty of stealing anything? Or you eat up with covetousness or something you're not allowed to have that somebody else has? Covetousness. An over-anxious desire for things. A longing, a craving for things. And we talked about wickedness. Deceit. Telling lies. You know there's no such thing as white lies. They're all black. They're all black. An evil eye. The idea is evil and eye. To look at with malicious and an evil eye. Looking for evil. Looking for somebody to make a mistake and make a slip. Blaspheming. That has the idea of just railing on somebody. It could be blaspheming towards God. It could be blaspheming holy things. But I want you to notice the root word there has the idea of blasting. Pride. Any pride around? Oh, it's a proud generation. It's a proud generation. It's so proud that it's hard for people to cry anymore in remorse over their sins. Pride. Foolishness. Been any foolishness in your life? It's a natural tendency for young people to be foolish. But we don't have to be. We can be godly. Turn our heart away from it. Well, the reasons. When I was just in my late teens, we played a lot of volleyball. Oh, we played volleyball. We played volleyball in the snow sometimes. And I got carried away in that volleyball game. And I acted so foolish and carried on. I, don't, I wasn't born again, at least not in the early part of it. And I go walking out of there, and I felt so disgusted and cheap for the way I'd acted. It just, uh, I was feeling this defilement of foolishness. I was a clown. I was foolish. And it defiled me. The day came, the Lord delivered me from it and continues to deliver me. Foolishness. No one ever committed a sin out of a pure heart. 
Joseph was able to resist Potiphar's wife because he was pure within. It is prideful and selfish reactions from within that cause so many problems in human relationships. I want us to think back about what Proverbs said in keeping the heart with all diligence. Evil communication corrupt good manners. When you are together with evil communication and somebody's chattering evil communication in you, it's going to corrupt good manners. Keep your heart. Watch what you allow in your atmosphere and in your influence. Your friends might think you're strange, but it may just be that you're preserving your soul so you can see God. If you want to survive as a Christian, you must observe these principles. As the heart becomes clear, the life becomes clear. Because Jesus said these things, if they come out of the life, foolishness and pride, they defile the man. So as the life, heart becomes clear, the life becomes clear. As conduct gets corrected and repented of, the heart becomes clean. I want to say that again. As conduct gets corrected and repented of, the heart gets clean. I don't know how many times I repented of something that I had done and opened my heart for the Lord to wash me anew because of something I had done. And when the, the, the action was corrected, the heart became clear. Why do we say... The heart has to get right before the actions come right. I'm going to say that God speaks about actions. And he addresses things that are done. And when we correct those actions, the heart gets cleaner. Begins to get clean. From the heart, point number two, from the heart come the issues of life. We were just talking about that. Only the pure in heart will see God. Are you pure in heart? I don't want to belabor this this evening, but I'd like to take this a little further. Number three, carnal actions and carnal pressure are contagious. I don't know if you believe that. Carnal actions and carnal pressures are contagious and infect even those who want to be pure. The word carnal is pertaining to flesh, fleshly, sensual, opposed to spiritual, as an example, carnal pleasure. Let's just accept what God has to say about it. The carnal mind is enmity with God. I want to show you that. Romans 8 and verse 7. Be good for you to look at those words. With your eyes. Romans 8 in verse 7 says, The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I ask you tonight, are you carnally minded? The mind and the mindset that typically functions in you, in your attitudes, in your 
projection of life? Is it a carnal mindset or is it a spiritual mindset? Do you gravitate towards choices that have to do with soberness, sobriety, and eternity? Or do you gravitate towards a mindset that is temporal, lighthearted, irresponsible, and foolish? Wants to laugh at everything. And I enjoy mirth. I enjoy humor. We have not a, so, uh, not a solemn, somber, um, uh, long-faced atmosphere at our house. There is joy there. There's enjoyment of relationships. And we know how to laugh about things. But our mindset endeavors to be the things of God and things of eternity and soberness of life. Where is your mindset? Is it towards God? Or is it, well, I'm just riding along, see what's going to happen. God says in that verse as we just read that to be carnally minded is to be enmity with God. He does not like it. It clashes against his spirit. And you cannot consider yourself a Christian and be carnally minded. It won't last long for sure. There's a place in 1 Corinthians, 13, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, I believe it is, where Paul says, I couldn't talk to you as to spiritual, but to carnal. Uh, you know, you've, you've, you've got envy and strife going on among you, and so I couldn't talk to you as spiritual people. And there's a possibility as young Christians, you're finding a way that you have some carnality to deal with. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm saying, are you content in your carnality? Are you content to just push forward in flippancy? Or are you taking eternity serious? Are you taking the salvation of your friends serious? Are you taking seriously the things that you do that hinder your friends from following the Lord? I'm going to say that the drive for fun and excitement does not come from the spiritual mind. I know that young people are active. I know that I find many things fulfilling that I do with my hands. I'd rather do something with my hands than to study and exercise my mind. Because, well, it's just, you know, it comes easier. And that's not necessarily bad. I'm not just saying because you have energy that you're a carnal person. I'm saying how you choose to use that energy. Are you willing to invest it in another person for eternity? The drive for fun and excitement does not come from the spiritual mind. Restlessness and itch. The man that had the devils couldn't be still. They couldn't tie him up. They couldn't chain him up. He'd break the chains. But when Jesus cast the devils out, the restless spirit went away. It says he was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Carnality is a restless fellow. The flesh is restless and dissatisfied. If someone came in here with a 103 degree temperature and had all the flu symptoms, how many of us would say the symptoms are no problem? Oh, yeah, I'm sure you're fine. Yeah, I'm sure you're fine. Yeah, I know your temperature's a little high. And, you know, there's other undesirable things going on here. And, and yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you're just fine inside. None of us would say that. And yet, people with expression of cool, 
carnality, hard-heartedness, flippancy. Well, we can't lay our finger on the symptom. So, well, we have to get the heart right first. So the conduct comes right. This thing is fed backwards also. When you bring discipline and repentance to the actions and to the symptoms that portray the problem, you are touching the heart. Let's not forget it. It's from the heart that that expression is coming from. When the head covering is falling off the back of the head, you know what heart that comes from? A heart that doesn't really want to embrace completely, radically, the principle that God has laid out for us in 1 Corinthians 11. That's the heart it comes from. We demonstrate what we are inside by what we do. That's the heart that it comes from. You know where that spike tear comes from, fellas? From pride. Wanting to be looked at as cool. As somebody that the other cool ones connect with. It's carnal. It comes from pride. From within the heart of men. And I think if we want to exist as churches and have another generation, we're going to need to address the symptoms. You're sick, young man. Here's some symptoms. What's your thought about these symptoms? These symptoms. You know, you got this um, bad, bad fever. Well, the, the symptom indicates that you're sick. Sister, you want to adorn yourself. I've seen the whole rigmarole go. I've seen them plucking their eyebrows. Oh, I didn't catch them at it. Eyeshadow. Face toners. It comes not from the Spirit of God. We're created in God's image. You sisters, as you wear your genuine who you are face, properly arranged, you're the most beautiful in God's sight possible. As soon as I begin to see somebody is wearing this stuff that's not real, Immediately it says down in here to me, there's something fake about that person. Everything in me does not feel like trusting that person. What are they up to? You say, well, you're a very strange man indeed. I may be. My wife likes me. And she don't have to do that to get me to like her. I'm just I'm making appeal. There are symptoms. And they say all is not well in here. And I wonder, what have we been letting feed in our ears that causes this fruit? And I wonder, what have we been looking at as ideals that causes this to come back out of the out of the heart in the life? When we go into the spirit of this world, the spirit of this world is all about the lust of the eyes. 
what pleases and giddy and, and, you know, do it up and fancy. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, what feels good, do it. That's what the world's all about. And the pride of life, possessions, power, prestige, exerting authority over others, that pride of life, that's self-exalting. That's what the spirit of the world is all about. It doesn't belong among the people of God, brothers and sisters. It doesn't belong among us. And when we see the symptoms, let's be humble enough to acknowledge that we're sick. That we're sick. But here's the problem. Somehow we've been hoodwinked to think that we can take up just about so much a bigger truckload of the world and still make it into heaven. I believe we ought to work. The Bible teaches all over the place. Man doesn't work, shouldn't eat. I believe we ought to be diligent. It doesn't teach that we should accumulate wealth. It should help the poor. There are many practical things there. And we need to follow the Lord in those things. When we allow carnality, the cool spirit, cool expressions, cool clothes, faddish clothes... The spiritual flu will set in. If we allow any carnal expression. I want to be part of a church. That has a brotherhood agreement. That we're willing to depart from every expression of carnality. If it's my. We don't have that at home yet. (laughs) But if my attitude is carnal. If something I'm doing is carnal. I'm not talking about scrutinizing, criticizing. I'm talking about an all honesty and godliness. Let's put away those things. I want to say that this spirit, this cool spirit that indicates the flu resists government. It doesn't want to change actions. I've, I've, I think it's two or three times I've tried to say that this, this week and I hope that that it settles in my heart and uh, it settles in your heart. I want to be governable. You know, to dwell above with saints we love, that would be glory. When we dwell below with saints we know, it seems like a different story. And, you know, Peter and Paul up there, I, you know, if they had come and addressed my life with some, some, uh, something that's amiss in my life, oh, yeah, I'd listen to Peter and Paul, but, uh, you know... Brother Elvin, ah, oh, you know, I just, I'm not sure he's as spiritual as, as he ought to be to be able to understand what's going on in my life. And, you know, I just, you know, dwell above. I'd like to promote to us the idea that it may just be that a fellow brother and sister can more easily discern what's going on in our hearts, what our life is portraying, than we ourselves can. And I'd just like to bring a little bit of that attitude of treasure for one another. That we talked about last night, we talked about honoring our parents. But what about making our brethren a treasure? Treasuring them highly. Treasuring their views highly. And when they speak into our lives, Oh, I think, 
I, I hadn't seen that in my life before. I, I'm, I'm willing to pray about that. Uh, if you, you think that ought to change right away? Yeah, I'll, I'll change right away and I'll, I'll uh, pray about it later. I'm talking about that easy an admonition. I, I just, my heart has been seeking to turn in that direction. The worse the infection of carnality is, the less a person is able to see carnality and take it seriously. So we've spoken tonight about our day of visitation. There's a real eternity coming. There's a real end of life coming. There's a real standing before the Lord. We don't know when it's going to be. We just don't know when it's going to be. We might think all is well, you know, I'm still young. We don't know. Listening to Brother George Brunk, someone way back up here, uh, listening to some preaching, and he told a story about in an in a, uh, evangelistic campaign where they were preaching, and he just had this sense that somebody, this is the last time they're going to have the chance to hear the gospel. And he pressed the crowd, and he spoke to them about this. There was a man that was sitting there that he had a burden for. He did not yield. I think it was 10 days later, the man was walking down the street in town and fell on his face, dead, just like that. He hadn't yielded. I would pray that tonight you could take it seriously. just want to read a scripture to us here in closing in Luke 13. It's required to every one of us that we repent. Luke 13 here says, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. These Galileans were sacrificing somewhere, somehow. These people were uh, uh, sacrificing, and see, Jesus was a Galilean. Seems they were trying to stir him up. But these Galileans were sacrificing, and Pilate came on the scene, and he... uh, killed these people and their sacrificial blood was on the altar and he took these people's blood and mixed it together with this other sacrifice blood and offered it that's best I can see what what happened here and it seemed like they were trying to get a rise out of Jesus and some thought may have been that these people were expressly bad people for this to happen to them and Jesus answering said unto them suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. In a similar manner, every person that does not repent is going to perish in a similar manner, in a terrible, a very unfortunate manner. In a manner, it may not look all that unfortunate or very abnormal from this side, but from the other side, where the fires of hell burn, the other side, where God is to be faced. Where other side, where everything is naked and open before him with whom we have to do. The other side, and all likewise perish. In a flaming fire. The Bible speaks of a flaming fire where those that know not God, those that are rebellious, those that are unclean, those that are filthy, let those that are filthy still, the murderers, the thieves, they're going to be cast into this lake of fire. It wasn't God's intention. That was not what the place was prepared for. When there's resistance and there's sin and there's not a regeneration. This is what happens. Another example in verse 4. Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? 
I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. I'd like to give you an opportunity to repent tonight. Repenting means to turn from your sin. To turn from anything that's displeasing to the Lord. To be sorry for it. To ask the Lord to forgive you for it. And stretch forth his mercy. I think tonight would be a good night to repent of worldliness. If there's any sense at all that God is speaking to you. You know, I believe that in this generation, very few people believe that what the Bible says, that he that would be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. I don't believe many people to believe that anymore. There'd be more people repenting of it. There is such a thing as worldliness. So I'd like to give us an opportunity to repent tonight. So if we could stand together for a, for a song. If the Lord has spoken to you, And you have a sense that it is I, Lord. It is I standing in the need of prayer. It is I, Lord. Just like to give you an opportunity. What shall we sing? Number 303. 303. If the Lord's speaking to you, you just come. Spare yourselves. Save yourselves from this untruth. A toward generation. It's a crooked generation out there.